It's the Save Democracy Podcast. I'm Steve Goldstein. A strong effort is underway in Arizona to reform the way the state's primary and general election systems are run, with the goal of giving every voter and candidate, whether independent, unaffiliated, or registered with a traditional political party, an equal opportunity. A different movement, one that's also about giving voters more choices, is happening at the national level, as organizers, advocates, and many members of the general public are hoping to avoid a rematch in the 2024 presidential election between President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. My guest on this edition of the Save Democracy podcast is very interested in that latter possibility, and he's written about other options he'd prefer. His name is C. Owen Papke, and his new book is called The Purple Presidency 2024, How Voters Can Reclaim the White House for Bipartisan Governance. Owen, welcome to the Save Democracy podcast. Thanks for being with me. What are the conditions right now? The average person can certainly look and say, I was not happy voting for President Trump. I was not happy voting for then-candidate Biden. And boy, I would really dread the idea of the two of those being the nominees again. So talk about, if you would, just sort of why the conditions seem to be ripe right now for a different way of thinking at the national level about what our next presidential candidate should look like. Well, poll after poll, Steve, affirms exactly what you're describing. They were dissatisfied when they did it once. They haven't been all that impressed during the Biden administration any more than they were during the Trump administration. And so the sentiment has only gotten stronger. So if you have a high level of dissatisfaction with both of the major parties and with their most probable candidates. And you have a rapidly rising number of independent voters whose voice is not fully heard in the primaries. This really is a recipe for either somebody standing up and, and, uh, and snatching a, a nomination away in the primaries, which as you well know, is a tough job or, um, you know, if we have two candidates who are really not satisfactory to the American people, then it's time for there to be a, a third candidate sort of in the pro um, context, that that framework. And I want to dig into the pro 1992, especially in a couple moments here. What do you think of when people throw out the word spoiler? Well, this is going to sound like, you know, somebody spent too much time in college, but I think <laughs> false, I think false dichotomy. I think people think you either win or you're a spoiler, and that's simply false. And we could go to the historical example of Perot, who didn't change the outcome of that election, and not only didn't spoil anything, he actually improved the governance over the succeeding eight years. But it's really pretty easy to reason this out, even without that, even if we didn't have that exact example, that People lose all the time. That doesn't mean that they spoil the election outcome for others. This isn't an uncommon event. Look at every nomination there's ever been. I mean, uh, primaries usually have more than two candidates. So did is everyone who didn't win a spoiler? No, that it, spoiler can happen. And the example that comes up all the time is Ralph Nader in Florida in 2000. And I won't argue that. It's a pretty good case for a spoiler. But spoilers usually happen when they're running from the fringe, not from the center. We know money is incredibly important. We know there needs to be money to get messaging out. But are we in a situation, a majority of this country at least, in a situation either because of history or actually what beliefs are, that so many millions are just tied to a particular party? How difficult is it 
logistically, but also perhaps philosophically and spiritually to get people to really think seriously about candidates that don't come out of this Republican or Democratic net? Well, it's difficult indeed. And and if we were talking in 2000, I would say it was impossible because people at that time were not nearly as disillusioned with the parties. But if you look at the phenomena we've been seeing where there's a rapidly rising number of independent voters and the and the approval rating of the parties generically has been falling through this entire century. Um, at some point, if those trends continue, it's clearly a plausible possibility. Has that point been reached? I think we only know if we try. And I can't imagine a, a more fertile situation for trying than exists in 2024 when it's quite likely that there will be two candidates who actually a minority of Americans even want to have run again, much less sit in the Oval Office again. So if it is no labels or if it is another group, whatever it may be, how important is it for that proposed presidential ticket to be based on voters potentially really liking those people? Or how much of it is it about them having a message of problem solving, getting away from a, a little bit more of this partisan rancor? Because there is a feeling that that people say that, you know, often candidates win because of timing, but other times they win because of their own personal charisma or the fact that people want to have a beer or coffee with them. You would get differing opinions on that. I, again, I'm a bit of a policy wonk guy. And so I lean toward the policy side. And um, I'm really eager to see a platform come out that um, more or less resembles what the majority of Americans want to see. I think No Labels is working on that, but obviously the candidate will have some say in that as well. But uh, Trump and Biden don't have platforms um, that in any way resemble what most Americans want. So I would like to think that if the issues cut in favor of a third candidate, then that would play well. Obviously, having a candidate with charisma that helped Perot a lot, it's helped a lot of people a lot. I don't want to dismiss that. But I really lean toward uh, the importance of the, uh, of the policy agenda. I'm speaking with Owen Papke. His book is called The Purple Presidency, How Voters Can Reclaim the White House for Bipartisan Governance. In the book, you talk about a number of issues, uh, inflation, deficits and debt, climate change, national security. Some of those have are contentious, but they're not contentious in quite the same way that a lot of us would like it to see contentious, as in people sort of agreeing what the problem is and then how do we fix it coming from different points. So yeah. tell me what some of these issues that you focus on in the book why there are real opportunities, at least for some of those, for true bipartisan measures when people actually think about it, perhaps not in an emotional sense. I mean, you raise a very important uh, problem, Steve, and and uh, and I and I'm not prepared to solve that. Mm -hmm. uh, people get their information from all sorts of sources. Some of those are more reliable than other others. Uh, that affects their perceptions. But let's take something that you would think was extremely contentious, like climate change. There is now a clear consensus, and when I say consensus, I mean 60, 70, 80% of Americans who recognize climate change as a significant problem that needs to be addressed, but do not recognize it as an existential crisis that we need to drop everything else we're doing and, um, you know, and attend solely to that. There are certainly fringes 
um, who who believe that of of um, climate change or who don't believe in climate change at all. But if you can appeal to those, if you can, as um, as a friend of mine said, if you can play between the thirty yard lines and appeal to the people who uh, share that common majority belief. We need to address it, but we need to do it coherently without forgetting about all of our other priorities, which means compromise, which means negotiation, which means all of the things that made the political system in America great, then you can go very far down the, down the line on that. I think you'd find the same thing on social security. I think you'd find the same thing on immigration, which is considered amazingly contentious. And yet, sensible, mainstream compromise solutions that are offered every few years. We just keep rejecting them. And some leadership in the White House would really help. Sometimes there's a raising of awareness of certain issues. Uh, I go back to, to 1992. We talk about Ross Perot. That was the first presidential election I was able to vote in. I was interested in all three of the candidates at various points. I actually thought that was a, a pretty good selection of three candidates. We often don't get two good candidates these days. But at that point, three where I could see you know going one way or the other, depending on how things were going. But one of the things that Ross Perot was credited with was raising awareness of how we spend, where our debt and deficit were going. And I think what's important about what you said earlier in the conversation is that, yes, he didn't win the election, but he, without question, seemed to change the way that Bill Clinton was forced to govern. What difference did Perot make in terms of, even though he didn't win, he did have a huge influence on what the Clinton administration looked like? You really described it very well, but 1992 was a watershed event for reasons that I'm going to say were not recognized at the time. I, I can certainly say I didn't recognize them at the time, and that certainly wasn't my first presidential election, <laughs> Steve. And thanks for mentioning that. I, I now hate you. But um, <laughs> but but leaving, leaving that aside, um, look, he focused on some people say five issues, some people say four issues in his platform. He drew his own charts. I mean, it's been exaggerated a little, but there's some truth in it. He kept it simple and he went to the voters and said, these are the, there's a hundred issues out there, but these are the ones that we need to concentrate on. And the major parties are doing a bad job of that and are not representing what you want. And he carried that message very effectively, despite a somewhat quixotic campaign. He ran very well. And the result, frankly, was Newt Gingrich in 1994 in the contract with America. And, uh, and on top of that, once Gingrich was in there, all of the compromise and negotiation that happened between Clinton and Gingrich. Clinton and Gingrich didn't even like each other. <laughs> and yet they were incredibly productive in what they accomplished. Within a few years, you were seeing budget surpluses instead of deficits. By the end of the Clinton administration, we frankly had no debt problem, and we have a very severe one today. Um, there was um, welfare reform. There was HIPAA. There was, I mean, the, there was just tremendous progress that happened with two people who disagreed with each other about a number of topics, but were able to compromise and come to some resolution that most of the people liked. And we know that quite well because of the, uh, you know, government approval ratings and the uh, presidential approval ratings at the time. It seems like the right time for both parties to be considering something else. You talked about the increasing number of registered independents. 
what would really make 2024 feel more like the 1992 presidential race? What are some factors you think would need to happen, maybe in the campaign specifically or among voters? It is time for the parties to reform themselves, and they won't. I mean, uh, you kind of have to get their attention, I'm afraid, with a a two-by-four. After that, they may pay a lot of attention, and that's certainly what happened after 1992. So that to, to address your question, I really think that you need a candidate. If you can't get a moderate or centrist candidate from either party, and I think that's a very challenging task, although no labels is, is trying their best, but if in what I view as the more likely scenario, you can't get a moderate or centrist candidate or a very popular candidate from either party, then you have to do something else. And the something else is having a candidate who sticks to the basic issues, does not make this personal, does not make this ugly, um, uh, eschews all mudslinging and says, I'm going to stick to these few um, issues. And that's all I'm going to talk about. And, I'm going to bring those to the fore um, and, you know, the major parties ignore them at their peril. And with uh, such unpopular candidates as the major parties currently have and how unpopular they are and the rise of the independents and everything else we've talked about, it really is at their peril because uh, an independent candidate could run exceptionally well under these circumstances. To raise a, a note of cynicism for a sec, if 2024 is not a successful year for this kind of mission, um, how much are we losing there and how much worse could it get? I'm going to take the optimistic side of that. Uh, it would be a it would be a definite setback and it would be very significant. A number of these things might still foster uh, election reform, particularly in the primaries. I mean, a lot of what's happened here is as a result of a change in the role of the primary starting toward the end of the 20th century and really coming to full fruition this century, where basically... Um, instead of them being, you know, beauty pageants uh, that were non-binding on how people were nominated, they became the absolute be-all and end-all, and the parties became more fringy, particularly with respect to the primary electorate. And the result has been, as we saw quite dramatically in Arizona in 2022, is that you get some candidates nominated by um, either party, in this case, mostly Republican Party, who clearly on their face were not the most qualified and the strongest candidates. They just weren't. And the result was that you didn't have the right candidates running to decide what the Arizona people wanted. We, we never got a good read on that. So uh, at that point, uh, the focus may shift to some more extent to election reform, reforms we need in the electoral process itself, specifically including the primary process, getting more flexibility in that voting, getting more participation by independents, and getting better candidates. And we can see what happened in Alaska this last time around on the Senate race. They got better candidates, and the result was a very representative election that delivered to Alaska the senator they really wanted, which the traditional process might very well not have. So I think if it isn't one way, it's going to be another. I would hate to lose the opportunity that 2024 presents. But if we lose that, then, you know, 
there's going to be other people who will pick up this torch, not me, but moving on to say, if that didn't work, we're going to have to do something else. The name of the book is The Purple Presidency 2024, How Voters Can Reclaim the White House for Bipartisan Governance. The author is C. Owen Papke. Owen, thanks for being on the podcast. Steve, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much. That's all for this edition of the Save Democracy podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and let everyone you know about the program. To learn more about the effort to reform Arizona's primary and general election systems, please go to the website, savedemocracyaz.com. That's savedemocracyaz.com. You'll also be able to get on the mailing list and stay up to date. I'm Steve Goldstein. Thanks for listening.